Welcome back to the Hemingway List Potty Waddy. For book 13, chapter 2, Tolstoy describes the movement of the Russian troops as somewhat natural and animalistic. Do you think this view of the Russian movement is accurate? At the end of this chapter, Tolstoy describes the yearning for battle against the French by comparing the circumstances to the movements of a clock. Why a clock instead of a more natural description he used earlier? And why did you... Oh, sorry, what did you think of Napoleon's reply? Sorry, what did you think of Kutuzov's reply to Napoleon? Ripster 66 says, Tolstoy Shaw lays out his argument well, that the only natural place for the Russian army to go was exactly where it went. I'm not sure it is accurate, but it does allow him to remove the credit from the higher-ups. In Tolstoy's view, it wasn't a great military strategy, simply an inevitable movement that made the most sense. Of course, we've seen countless times throughout this book that military manoeuvres don't often make any sense at all, and things can happen due to error or miscommunication at times. So his theory is sort of conveniently applied here and ignored in other places. Tolstoy has used this machinery image before too. I think he views the entirety of the army as more machine-like, while the individuals, the cogs, may behave more naturally than the machine, that is, war is not natural at all. He has used that before, the whole machine analogy. I think he's just trying to show that we're all part of something bigger, and that that bigger thing is going in a direction, regardless of what the individual parts are doing. Um, yeah, I like, I like his point about removing the credit you know from the people who made the decisions because it was like those things were inevitable anyway it's kind of bigger than just Kutuzov or just Napoleon um, but he does harp on about it maybe a little bit too much maybe a little bit too much it's kind of like yeah you've made the point Napoleon I mean <laughs> you've made your point Tolstoy about Napoleon Anywho, let's keep reading. I'm just keen to read chapter 3, which goes like this. The Russian army was commanded by Kutuzov and his staff, and also by the emperor from Petersburg. Before the news of the abandonment of Moscow had been received in Petersburg, a detailed plan of the whole campaign had been drawn up and sent to Kutuzov for his guidance. Though the plan had been drawn up on the supposition that Moscow was still in our hands, it was approved by the staff and accepted on the basis for action. Kutuzov only replied that movements arranged from a distance were always difficult to execute, so fresh instructions were sent for the solution of difficulties that might be encountered, as well as fresh people who were to watch Kutuzov's actions and report upon them. Besides this, the whole staff of the Russian army was now reorganised, the, pos the posts left vacant by Bagration, who had been killed, and by Barclay, who had gone away in Dudgeon, had to be filled. A very serious consideration was given to the question whether it would be better to put A in B's place, or B in D's place, or on the contrary to put D in A's place, and so on, as if anything more than A or B satisfied Anything more than A's or B's satisfaction depended on this. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mature, but it says to put D in A's place, which is hilarious. Uh, as a result of the hostility between Kutuzov and Bennigsen, his chief of staff, the presence of confidential representatives of the emperor, and these transfers, a more than usually complicated play of parties was going on among the staff of the army. A was undermining B, 
D was undermining C, and so on in all possible combinations and permutations. In all these plottings, the subject of intrigue was generally the conduct of the war, which all these men believed they were directing. But this, this affair of the, war, of the war went on independently of them, as it had to go, that is, never in the way people devised, but flowing always from the essential attitude of the masses. Only in the highest spheres did all these schemes, crossings, and interminglings appear to be a true reflection of what had to happen. Prince Michael Ilaronovich wrote the Emperor on the 2nd of October in a letter that reached Kutuzov after the Battle of Taurutino. Since September 2nd, Moscow has been in the hands of the enemy. Your last reports were written on the 20th, and during all this time, not only has no action been taken against the enemy or for the relief of the ancient capital, but according to your last post, last report, you have even retreated further. Sepukov is already occupied by the enemy detachment, and Tula, with its famous arsenal, is so indispensable to the army, is in danger. From General Winsigerode's reports, I see that enemy corps of 10,000 men is moving on the Petersburg Road. Another corps of several thousand men is moving on Dimitrov. A third and has advanced along the Vladimir Road, and a fourth rather considerable detachment is stationed between Ruza and Mosheysk. Napoleon himself was in Moscow as late as the 25th. In view of all this information, when the enemy has scattered his forces in large detachments, and with Napoleon and his guards in Moscow, is it possible that the enemy's forces confronting you are so considerable as not to allow of your taking the offensive? On the contrary, he is probably perusing, pursuing you with detachments or at most with an army corps much weaker than the army entrusted to you. It would seem that availing yourself of these circumstances you might advantageously attack a weaker one and annihilate him, or at least oblige him to retreat, retaining in our hands an important part of the provinces now occupied by the enemy, and thereby averting danger from Tula and other towns in the interior. You will be responsible if the enemy is able to direct a force of any size against Petersburg to threaten this capital, in which it has not been possible to retain many troops. For, with the army entrusted to you, and acting with resolution and energy, you have ample means to avert this fresh calamity. Remember that you have still to answer to our offended country for the loss of Moscow. You have experienced my readiness to reward you. That readiness will not weaken in me, but I a, and Russia have a right to expect from you all the zeal, firmness and success which your intellect, military talent and the courage of the troops you command justify us in expecting. But by the time this letter which proved that the real relation of the forces had already been made itself felt in Petersburg, was dispatched, Kutuzov had found himself unable any longer to restrain the army he commanded from attacking, and a battle had taken place. On the 2nd of October, a Cossack, Shapovlov, who was out scouting, killed one hare and wounded another. Following the wounded hare, he made his way far into the forest and came upon the left flank of Murat's army, encamped there without any precautions. The Cossack laughingly told his comrades how he had almost fallen into the hands of the French. A cornet, hearing the story, informed his commander. The Cossack was sent for and questioned. The Cossack officers wished to take advantage of this chance to capture some horses, but one of the superior officers who was acquainted with the higher authorities reported the incident to a general on the staff. 
The state of things on the staff had of late been exceedingly strained. Ermolov had been to see Benigsen a few days previously and had entreated him to use his influence with the commander-in-chief to induce him to take the offensive. If I did not know you, I should think you did not want what you are asking for. I need only advise anything, and his highness is sure to do the opposite, replied Benigsen. The Cossacks report, confirmed by horse patrols who were sent out, was the final proof that events had matured. The tightly coiled springs was released, the clock began to whir and the chimes to play. Despite all his pa supposed power, his intellect, his experience and his knowledge of men, Kutuzov, having taken into consideration the Cossack's report, a note from Benningsen who sent personal reports to the Emperor, the wishes he supposed the Emperor had to hold, and the fact that all the generals expressed the same wish, could no longer check the inevitable movement and gave the order to do what he regarded as useful, useless and harmful. He gave his approval, that is, to accomplish, to the accomplished fact. Sorry about that, that was a bit of a bad reading, but that's a chapter for you. Kutuzov has reluctantly given the okay to do a little bit of attacking by the sounds of things. Alright, good listening. Well done. I'll see you tomorrow.